dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. I want to speak to you about courageous leadership. The reason for that is because, frankly, we are facing a time when leadership can't be anything but courageous. And I mean this in a specific way. When I speak about courageous leadership with you, I'm not talking about a type of leadership that, a style, or a type of leadership that you can, you need to apply, some sort of technique. I'm talking to you about a leadership that comes from the heart. The Latin word for heart is core, C-O-R. And core is at the core of the word courageous, right? Our word courage actually is a French derivative from that Latin meaning. And it means, it means having heart. That actually goes back to the Greek understanding of things and the ancient understanding of things where they isolated the different spirits within a person or the different drives within a person. And they said, you have the head, head and neck, which is kind of in charge of thinking, you have the loins, which are in charge of reproduction. And then you have this midsection, which is basically from the shoulders down to the, to the stomach, which is the place of the heart. So their understanding of heart was more than just the physical organ that goes beat in our chest. The heart for them was the spirit of the man, the, 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 the personal drive, the flame inside, the inner fire. It was, it was more than just love, so to speak. It was the, the, the passion that drives us forward in life. Heart is what the ancients would see as necessary for us to overcome the odds, to push through things, to innovate, to lead, actually. Which is, I think, so beautiful because when I look at what we face in our modern world and the challenges that we're facing right now, you know, the economic uh, challenges, the social upheaval that things that, that are there, the, the causes for anxiety that are so full that many of us are just pinned down underneath the weight of what could be. Well, I can look there and I can say, is there a technique to overcome them? Techniques work really well in leadership when you have a set of circumstances, right? So if I, if I know that that I have this to do and th these things are given to me and I can accomplish anything within these given set of circumstances, well, then I can apply techniques and I can, I can find ways to better my operations because I know that I have a basis. Right? So in other words, I think that a lot of leadership talks today do really great at that. They're, they focus us in on on how we can manage our time better, on how we can have difficult conversations, on how we can run meetings more efficiently, on how we can take control of our conversations. You know, there's all these different things that we know we can do, you know, uh, and they're very, very important techniques for us to learn. But what all of them have in common, 
is that all of them presuppose that you have a business. <laughs> I mean, just to point out the obvious here, you know, all of them presuppose that you actually have something that's stable. You have people and then you learn a technique of how to manage them better. But when you're an entrepreneur or when you are starting in a situation or looking at a situation where those foundations are shaken, like a financial threat that comes to our entire universe, right? Or the collapse of 2007, 2008, if you remember that. Or, you, you're, or when we have banking that changes its interest rates or when you have a, a massive unemployment or when you have a government that shifts its way of operating. When the foundations are shaken, all of us find ourselves suddenly looking for a different kind of leader. We need not just to have those techniques, but we need something more. That's where I want to propose to you the importance of what I call courageous leadership. Courageous, not just meaning bravery, although that's implied. Courageous meaning leadership from the heart. Leadership that implies a daring and an energy that cannot be explained except that it comes from the freedom of the soul of the leader. When we look at situations around us and choose to look for the optimistic point of view and choose to look for the, the possibility that's latent there and choose to find in the challenge a new opportunity, we're doing something that really defines us as leaders and really defines our leadership. We're leading from the inside. If you go back to the way that you were when you started your career, you know, you had the eye of the tiger, so to speak, right? You, yeah, it's, a great, it's a great movie. It's called Rocky, right? And, and, and when we think about the Rocky scenario, the Rocky story, it's about someone who has nothing except a dream, nothing except a vision for where he could get. And then that hunger and that drive pushes him to fulfill that dream, the eye of the tiger. It's a great thought. And, and you, you, had, you were lean and mean and you were ready to do anything because you were looking to make your way forward into the leadership position that you have. And so you sacrificed and you, and you, you went through the grind and you gave yourself. Right? And what was driving you at those moments? It wasn't anything that you had. You didn't have anything. It was the hunger. It was the thirst for the next thing. To get my first house. To get my first car in order that I can get my first job so that I can get my first house. <laughs> and then you're going backwards and darn it all, you did it. And, and you saved up and you fought and you got to that first car and then they, you worked really hard and you lived in an apartment and you saved your money and then you got that first house. And then we went forward and forward and forward. And, and that whole time what was driving us was, was this heart, this spirit within, this, this, this part within you that allowed you to set the parameters and to find in whatever was given to you the path forward to the next step. And when I look at our world, I see when things get shaken, this is the time for courageous leaders to step forward. For people to say, hey, you know what? The foundations might be shaken. We're going to build new foundations. We're going to take whatever's happening here and we're going to spin it forward. We're going to turn it into advantage. We're, why? Because we were made for this moment. That's why. I don't need a book or a technique to tell me how to lead when I lead from the heart. What I need instead is inspiration to revive within me that spirit that brings me to that position of leadership. 
I need something that inspires me and tells me that I can keep going, that I am not finished yet, that it is not over. This inspirational leadership, this leadership from the heart, this is exactly where Catholicism thrives. And I, I don't mean just Catholicism, I mean Christianity in general thrives. Because Christianity in general, it comes from where? All of us who are Christian, we have our foundation in something that is brand new. <laughs> I mean, frankly, folks, think about it. No one has ever spoken about a God who becomes man. No other religion on the face of the earth has ever thought that God would become man. Now, that man would become God. Oh, well, there's all kinds of different things there, you know. But that God would become man and yet remain God with all of his dignity, that's brand new. A virgin that will become a mother. Well, I mean, that's, that's a pretty amazing thought right there. And then have that virgin who becomes a mother actually be married while remaining a virgin. But there's a novelty. And then, of course, the novelty of novelties is the resurrection. That a man should rise again, not by the power of God only, but because that man is God. And that that God would die in the flesh, not dying in eternity, but in the flesh, I mean, there's all kinds of newness here. It's the new wine that you can't place in old wineskins without bursting the skins, says Christ. And in that novelty, you've got, in a sense, a call from the apostles to establish new foundations. The community of the church, in other words, not being the same as the community of Israel. Not being the same as what went before. The New Testament, the New Covenant, building on what came before, but in a whole new way. The fellowship that exists between Christians as being a new thing because it's rooted in the divine mystery of charity, which itself was rooted in the novelty of the cross. Talk about novelty. You've got the institution of the Eucharist. Again, who would ever imagine that not only that God would become man, but that that God-man... That is, Jesus Christ, who is God, of course, would give his flesh as food and drink. This, too, is something brand new no one had thought of. That he would choose to institute baptism as the sacrament by which he would save us by the infusion of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is a new thing. Christ was full of looking at the paradigms that are out there and then reviving those paradigms in a way that had never been heard of before, and then inviting his apostles to live in that new paradigm and to promote that new paradigm and to find ways to develop and apply that paradigm without changing its fundamental givens. Guys, like, what's happening is that the Lord realizes, I am calling you into courageous leadership. I'm calling you not to look upon a foundation that already exists and tell me how to optimize it. That's a good thing and that's part of courageous leadership. But the essence of courageous leadership is to say, hey, your life has just been thrown upside down. Guess what? God is there. Now your job is to find that God, show that God, develop that God. Your society has just been thrown upside down. Guess what? God has plans for it. I need leaders to not look and bemoan the past, but to point the way towards the future. I need leaders who are not going to complain and whine about everything that isn't there and that are instead going to point the way forward for how things can be found there. I need leaders who are able to look into the nothing and find the something. I need leaders, therefore, who lead from the heart because that's where I speak with them. A courageous leader finds his or her strength in God and in faith 
And in that faith and that strength of God applies their human intelligence and their hard-won skill to the labor of bringing into existence things that are hidden and into the light things that can't be seen yet. And where everyone else looks around and sees destruction, the courageous leader steps forward and says, I see here a new creation. I don't just see defeat, I see opportunity. I see in the winds of change something that can be in fact oriented towards and by that divine wind, which is the Holy Spirit, towards genuine human development. A courageous leader never says stop, never says die. That's what makes them so great and so persuasive. And this is why I think that in today's circumstance, God's calling you, honestly. When you were baptized, you were baptized into Christ. And you were baptized, therefore, into his resurrection. St. Paul is unequivocal about that. If you were baptized into Christ, you were baptized into his death. And those who have been baptized into his death will also rise with him and be seated with him at the right hand of the Father. And this is why St. Paul in the letter to the Ephesians can make it really clear. He says, this is why you are no longer citizens just of this earth, but you are also citizens of heaven. Being citizens of heaven, you should keep your mind on those higher things. The first principle of a courageous leader is that we have that fundamental perspective of optimism and that fundamental perspective of knowing where we're going and seeing where we're going in the highest form, seeing where we're going in God himself. The saints bear witness to this as they go before us. So I want to look at their lives and look at how they show us and demonstrate this courageous leadership so that we can be the same. We're going to look at the lives of each one of these saints together because by seeing their example, we can do what they did and lead our world forward towards God courageously. All right, so that means, courageously means looking concretely at what is in front of us as an opportunity. This is exactly what God is calling us to do. When the foundations are shaken or when we don't see our way forward, it takes that inner light, that inner heart, that inner spirit that God communicates directly to us to be the, the spirit that guides us as we transform our situations. And this is the same in families as it is in business. And I would even say it's more important to be courageously a leader in your families. This applies to mothers as it applies to, to managers. And regardless of our state in life, that's what's so beautiful about this. Leadership is not focused on what happens and how you, you manage a team of people in the boardroom or the team of people in your office. This is an application of leadership. I want at my ministry in the St. John Institute to touch something deeper than that. I want by the St. John Institute to, re to touch a spirit of leadership that applies to your family, applies to your business, applies to your team wherever you are, and that you can apply to your church and your world as well. Because I'm convinced that God's plan for leadership is applied wonderfully in the business sphere, but as wonderfully also in our churches, in our societies, and in our families. And what is that plan for leadership? It's a leadership that starts in the heart and that focuses in on you. And our first example of that courageous leadership I want to just speak to you about is St. Damien of Molokai. This guy was amazing. And his leadership remains imprinted on the people that he influenced, even though he has been dead now for over 100 years. I remember the first time I got to encounter his life 
And the first impact that he made on me, I was just a young boy in a Catholic school in Maumee, Ohio. And as I was in the school library, the teachers would take us down one day a week and we would just have reading time in the library. And I remember, you know, you'd be able to pick out any book you wanted in the whole library, right? And so I went over to the shelves there and I found myself reading a story about this saint who worked with the lepers in Hawaii, people who suffer from Hansen's disease, as it's called today. And that enhancing disease patients, of course, at that time, it was just a terrible disease that they didn't know anything about. And I remember reading this story and seeing this drawn picture of this priest with a big, broad hat and a black cassock. And I remember as I read about it, thinking to myself, I want to be like him. Little did I know that probably from heaven, he was interceding for me. And that one day I would be like him, obviously not in his holiness, but in the sense that I too am a priest. And being a priest, I was able to go and visit the exact place where he was. I took three pilgrimages there with Eagle Eye Ministries over the years, and I've been privileged to stand at the same altar where he stood every single day saying Mass and offer Mass there as well. I stood in his footsteps literally at the altar that he built with his own hands and offered the holy sacrifice of the Mass just like he did. It was one of the most life-changing moments, and I've been so privileged to be able to do that. And life-changing because of who this man was. The story of his life is, is nothing but heroic from the beginning. At age 18, he chooses to leave his mother, father, sisters, and brothers and give his life entirely to Jesus Christ as a Catholic brother. Not even as a priest, but as a brother. He wanted to just be for Christ. And the time came where they were looking for volunteers to go to the missions in Hawaii. He was in Belgium at the time. And his, he wasn't selected. But by different machinations of the system, he ended up finding his way on the boat. Which meant that voluntarily, not only did he leave his mom and dad behind like join seminary in, in Brussels, Belgium but that he actually took the next step and left his country, his language, his natural way of being completely behind. And he sailed on a boat all the way to Hawaii, never to return again. He would never see his native soils and he would have to learn a new language, a new way of being. And at this time, the the, the state of Hawaii was just recently an American territory. And so he was entered our country, so to speak, even though it wasn't a state at that time. He entered that territory and and was ordained a priest just a few months after setting foot on the soil there in the old cathedral church in Honolulu. And if you go there, as I've been privileged to go today, you'll see a few of his relics and the relics of St. Mary Ann Cope, who would eventually come to join him there in that old cathedral, which is preserved nearly in the same way it was when he was ordained a priest there. You can almost still feel the holiness of that place. He ended up serving Christ then by, by pastoring parishes, churches on the big island of Hawaii. And where there's stories that are just so amazing of him building the churches with his own hands and, and traveling. There's one story where he hiked something like 30 hours to get to a village that was high up in the mountains that hadn't seen a priest in years and when he got to the place, his, his habit was all, his, his clothes they were all torn up and muddy. He had blood on him from falling down the cliff sides. 
because he refused to give up. And he, when he got there, he just told the people, let's celebrate mass. And he heard their confessions and he ministered to those people. They still remember it. And after that time on those islands, he was now 33 years old. It had been eight years as a pastor. And all the priests gathered together with the bishop to talk and like a convocation about how evangelization was going in Hawaiian Islands. And the bishop said, there's one thing, one place where we don't have anyone. And that's on the place called Kalupapa, which is a, a part of a, a land formation on the, on the island called Molokai. And if I could, I, we need a priest to go there, but I can't send anyone because if you go there, you will almost certainly die from leprosy. And uh, the death of a leprosy, by the way, is certainly nothing to, to, you know, to, to scoff at. This is your nose falls off, your hands swell, your ears fall off. It's, it's, a, it's a death that's, that's very, full of a lot of suffering and there's a lot of pain involved. And so the priests were like, well, what do we do with all these people? Because at that time, the U.S. government didn't know what leprosy was or they didn't know and they didn't know how it spread. They were simply quarantining anyone who was suspected of it onto that place. And at times, and it was very, it was a forced various, uh, with various degrees of strength, but there were moments where the government would forcibly take you out of your home and away from your family, put you on a boat and send you there never to come back. And so Damien volunteered at that moment to the bishop and he said, I will go. He was 33 years old. Courageous leadership. And the bishop looked at him and said, all right, the boat leaves in one hour. And so a little part, known part of the story is Damien didn't have any change of clothes. He had just had his breviary, his prayer book with him, and he gave the rest of his life to the lepers on that island, having been dropped off there with one hour's notice. I have in my office a, a memento of the place where he set foot on that island. Because when he set foot there, what, what struck him as he went to the quarters that were reserved for him by the government, he, he, he couldn't stand the stench that was coming the smell from all of the suffering and the wounds that were open and beyond description, you know, of the suffering and, and, and the affliction of these bodies that were emitting such an odor that it was so repulsive to him that the first 15 nights on his island, he wouldn't even go to the house that reserved to him. He was sleeping on the beach under a tree, pondering without doubt how in the world he was going to attack this because the situation of the people was, was it was beyond words. I mean, there's a story of him going down the street and he finds uh, a blanket laying there. He picks up the blanket and on the bottom side, there's a child who's near death, who's just been left dead on the street. The, the, of course, the children were being abused at the hands of, of people who were completely indecent, to say the least. And they were abusing the children. And then there was alcoholism that was everywhere and promiscuity that was everywhere because people said, there's no reason to live anymore. We may as well live the way that we want to in the decadence that we find appropriate. And there's Damien in that situation, a Catholic priest. And then the despair levels of the people, as you can imagine, knowing that they're going to die, the, the, the people who had given up on life, and given themselves over to depression and anxiety beyond the roof. And all of this without the light of Christ. And in walks this courageous leader, St. Damien. And what does he start to do? He ministers to their needs. He rebuilds the church with his own hands, builds his own altar, orders the things in from Belgium that he needs. He turns the funerals that take place on a nearly daily basis of the dead into occasions for them to celebrate life. He trains the people in musical instruments. There's pictures you can see of every funeral procession for the person who had passed away with a band 
and with children throwing flowers and, and people. And he made that death an occasion for them to celebrate their hope in the resurrection. And he didn't do it without opposition. He had constant opposition. He was known to go around and sometimes even smack the gin distilleries and the various ways that people would make whiskey. He was a father to them. And he proved that to them by, at times, you know, they would, they, they would say, you know what, you're going to come and go. You're not like us. You don't have leprosy. And so Damien would eat off of his spoon and then share his spoon with one of them at the at table, and then he would eat from the same spoon. He would do the same thing with his pipe. He would take the pipe and smoke on it, give the pipe to them, smoke on it again. Even though that was in violation of the codes that they were supposed to respect to stop the spread of leprosy, he went beyond the codes in order to demonstrate the love of Christ for them. He was inventive. He took care of their needs. He, he taught them how to rear ca raise cattle, how to build fences, how to manage the various health needs that they needed. And he advocated for this population that was otherwise cast off by the society that was around them. Damien stepped in where there was nothing and he brought, thanks to Jesus Christ and his faith in Jesus Christ, the light of the resurrection and of hope. St. Damien is a hero of epic proportions and his fame spread throughout the world even when he was alive. And he was canonized a Catholic saint just recently. What can we learn from that? We can learn a lot from St. Damien. Number one is that true leadership requires incredible courage and that, you know what? You guys have that courage. The moment you let yourself be courageous, the moment you let yourself, is the moment that you let yourself look at, an at a challenge that's in front of you and speak opportunity there. And you do not need the permission from anyone around you. As a matter of fact, you can't even get that permission from anyone that's around you. You don't look for permission from those who are around you when you've been sent by God. Damien had no one around him that believed in him. He had no one to support him when he showed up there at that church at those very early days of an abandoned church in an abandoned rectory on an abandoned island, he was alone. And looking inside of himself, he used to say, it is from the altar, I kneel before the altar every day and it is from the altar that I get my strength. He prayed to his God to overcome his own fears, his own abhorrence of the smells around him and to find those creative solutions. Second thing that we learn from Damien is you start with the practical. There's a story of a journalist who showed up on the island and he went to, f to find the famous Father Damien, the great saint, and he went to the church and he looks up on the roof and there's a man up there hammering shingles into the roof and he says, I'm looking for the, sa the saintly Father Damien, the holy priest. And Father Damien looks down and says, that's me. The man couldn't believe it because Damien threw a hammer down to him and said, get up here and help me to hammer the shingles. Starting with the practical, fi finishing with courage. St. Damien changed lives because he chose to. You and I can too. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.